Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another edition. We got Paranormal Cryptid and Rabbit Holes um, playing some Hollywood Squares here. <laughs> Let's see what we got, ladies and gentlemen. Hello, Mr. Decker. How are you doing today? Hey, doing pretty good, guys. Cold, rainy day, but I'm glad to be indoors, that's for sure. Thomas, Standing Stones. Let's see here. Welcome, welcome, everybody. Welcome to the show. Catherine, how you doing? Hey, Barb, uh, sliding into the rear right there, and here she comes along the rail, and we got Pamela. Welcome, <laughs> Pamela. Yeah, so we got something interesting, Crazy Witch and Thomas, something we've been talking about all week. So, yes, and hello there. Uh, so, uh, Giovanni, right? Is that how you say that? Marie DeZelzo? I'm terrible pronouncing last names. You ought to hear mine. Hello, Lauren, Sean, <laughs> welcome to the show. Chris, hello. Uh, make sure I get Luna sliding in there. So, um, Sean and everybody, uh, we, I was just talking to Decker. So, Decker, tell them what just happened. Well, we have a special guest lined up tonight. He is a law enforcement officer out in the West. And he was going to tell us uh, about some encounters that he has had. Uh, during his, his law enforcement years with Bigfoot and their attacks on civilians. Um, as I was talking to him pre-show, he just notified me he got called out on a domestic. Uh, he is an active law enforcement officer, so he will get with us as soon as he can. All right. So meanwhile, ladies and gentlemen, uh, he is actually working on the road right now. A domestic mm -hmm. go two ways. From you can show up and say, shut the hell up, <laughs> separate, and hopefully there's not no uh, physical abuse and nobody's going to go to jail, or there's going to be dishes thrown and all hell breaks loose and he's going to be tied up for hours. So let's hope it's one of those ones where it's just a verbal and not physical and we can get him on the phone ASAP. Uh, so yeah, bearded twins. Uh, my beard <laughs> is actually suppressed Mr. Decker, finally. So, yes. If I, I just had my measure out, I will. I just had my trimmed a little bit. So, yeah, it is a little bit longer than mine at the moment. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, but no. So, uh, Mr. Decker is fully aware of the officer. He knows mm -hmm. the officer. He actually knows the whole, uh, uh, the story and the details of it. So, what we're going to do is let Mr. Decker start it off. And we're on standby. And I told Mr. Decker, I'm like, look, if he can call in for 20 seconds, be like, yeah, no, 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 And whatever, I'm I'm good with that because I mean, I didn't know he was working tonight, ladies and gentlemen, or I would have made that announcement that, you know, he he's on standby. I so that is my apologies to everybody. But neither here or there, this is a factual event that actually taken place. So Mr. Decker, I'll let you take over. All right, well, so the three weeks ago, Grizzly talked about the LBL attacks, where I believe, and Grizzly believes, that the evidence shown there does indicate most likely dogman attack. And then last week, we talked about the Cott County killings, 
where again we both agreed on the evidence showing that most likely not a dog man attack but was a local pack of dogs and kind of going in the same theme here um we're going to talk about when uh, bigfoot attacks and there have been multiple stories multiple reports over the years of bigfoot being violent towards humans um i sent grizzly some information on the monroe michigan monster they called it uh years back there was a lady and her mom driving down the road and a Bigfoot reportedly reached in through the window and ended up hitting this lady in the face. Uh, they don't know if that was an intentional attack or what it was, but she got a big black eye of it. And there was actually a newspaper article written up on it with photos and everything about that one. Okay. So I met this law enforcement officer several years ago through social media and another Bigfoot site that I was involved in. And he was telling me and the other people in the group, of an incident that he was aware of and just a little background for it um there was a previous incident where a young man was riding his bike home and he heard a rustling sound behind him and he looked and in his words there was a large gorilla chasing him on all fours and so the kid is about 16 years old at the time uh started pedaling for all he was worth and then all of a sudden his bike just stopped and he kept going over the handlebars, Superman style, uh, hit the ground, did what, what was described as a combat roll and got up and took off running for his life. He wasn't too far from home. He made it to the house and went and told his parents. His first his parents didn't believe him, but the kid was in such a state. Uh, they did call the local sheriff's department and came out, which this officer was involved with. Uh, they went out to the site that very night. And they went out and they found the bicycle uh, 12 feet up into a tree. And this person, uh, my, my friend contacted him recently and said that he still has frequent nightmares about the incident. So, so kind of leading into. Uh, Barb knows, Barb Hartman and Chris knows that's actually in the group. And mm -hmm. some of the other people know and the ones that don't know. Uh, the ones that, that we have problems with, Sasquatches, Bigfoot, Littlefoot, Big Three, however you want to call it, right? Mm -hmm. Or the rogue ones that get kicked out of the family or the clan. And these are the right. problem ones. And yep. these are the ones that we are hearing that are attacking people. Now, we have a guy mm -hmm. named Val. He is a retired state trooper out of Michigan, and he is a, a data miner. And I do a okay. show with him, and he has a database. And, man, you talk about uh, information that he has. What he, he, I mean, you ask him a question, he can actually – he's probably in the chat if he wants to say hi. And I'll be more than happy to bring him on, and he can contest to this too. But we have talked to other people that not only gifts these creatures food and stuff, uh, mm -hmm. but, you know, it causes problems in – this is what happens and leads up to encounters with humans and they're not yeah. good encounters. So I just wanted to throw that in there before you got to the story. So uh, Val, sure. if you're in here, let me know. I want to send you a, a message. Uh, did Val say hi? I, I saw somebody say hi, Val. I didn't see that, but no, but uh, go ahead. Go ahead and take over. Okay, sure. No problem. Um, so leading into that, uh, my law enforcement officer friend, um, we'll call him Jack just to make it easy for us. Um, 
Oh, hold on a second. Uh, hopefully that is Jack calling. Uh, if not, uh, Val's supposed to be watching. And Val was probably going to come on the show to conform some information as well. So as uh, soon as we went live, I'm like five seconds. He was telling Decker that he had a, a, an active domestic. So I do not know where that stands, uh, if it was a verbal or physical. So we'll wait and see. In meantime, let's get a hold of Val and see if Val is actually watching. Because uh, he said he wanted to partake in this, especially with uh, uh, him being in law enforcement. So uh, uh, very interesting. So everybody that Barb and I, Chris, and everybody that's watched and I have interviewed, encountered, uh, talks about these encounters. Uh, we can actually go back and, and talk about people. Let's see here. Here he comes here now. All right. I'm back. <laughs> all right all right we're good um actually we'll just we'll just refer to uh, my friend is jack here just to make the storytelling a little easier uh, it, he had been involved with with some bigfoot cases out west and he run i don't want to say a foul but uh started interacting with some federal officers as well involving these bigfoot cases and that comes into play here okay so uh, the gentleman in question is named Johnny. We'll call him Johnny. One day, Johnny was out watering his tomato plants out in a rural area out west. Uh, we are going to keep some of the, the location areas uh, just kind of under wraps because, like I said, my friend is an active law enforcement officer. Um, he turned around, and about no more than 10 feet away from him was an adult male Sasquatch. Reddish brown in color. Uh, about eight to 10 foot tall. And it kind of surprised Johnny. So Johnny probably did what was not the right reaction was to turn his hose on this Bigfoot. And so oh, he wow. hosed down this Bigfoot to chase him away. Yep. That's, that's how, that's how it happened. And then uh, Johnny reached out to my friend Jack and then told him what happened. And he said, yeah, that probably wasn't the smartest thing to do. Um, but that, that's what happened. Okay. So that's the lead up to it. Um, about three or four weeks later, my friend was getting ready to go and do some kind of conference training that he was, he was heading out towards and he got a call from Johnny and Johnny informed him that he was laid up in the hospital and asked if my friend Jack could come see him. So Jack's like, all right, all right, dude, you know, we're friends. I'll come check you out. So he went and talked to him and, and Johnny was beat up, man. He was, his face was swollen. Um, he could barely talk. He, his eye was shut up. Uh, and he was missing two fingers on his one of his hands. And he began to relay the story of what happened. Apparently, Johnny was in his, his house taking a nap. And he woke up to this thing standing over him. The very same one that he had hosed down earlier. And this thing proceeded to just beat the living tar out of him. Uh, ended up, and the reason he was missing the two fingers was this thing bit him off right down to the, to the palm. Totally bit him off. Uh, slammed him up against the wall, just beat the tar out of him. 
And he asked my friend Jack to go go to the house and go check it out. Um, he said it was about 40 minutes out, out of the way to the conference. He's like, so not a problem. He went out to check it out. And when he got there, these federal officers were already on site. Um, I'm not sure what led to them knowing the information about the attack. Uh, that's something that my friend would have to tell you. Um, but they did allow him to go in, but he had to leave his cell phone behind with the federal officers. They said, you can go in, but you can't take any pictures or, or anything like that. So he went in and he said the place was completely tracked. Um, just things were broken and a couple of specific things that he said that was really odd to him was one. He said there was urine all over the wall. The, this thing marked its territory. And he said it wasn't just like a little bit. He said this was like flooded amounts of urine the, on the wall and then all over the floor pool and everything. So it was just an insane amount of urine. And then he said there was a uh, tomato can, like, like stewed tomatoes, um, and it was bit into. And he said it was amazing how crushed this thing was. And there was a single like fang mark kind of thing in the center of the crease of where it was bit into. And he, he said it just floored him because um, it showed him the power, the, the biting power, the crushing power that this animal had to be able to bite into a can like that and crease the whole can. Um, so from there, he I mean, he looked around, checked everything out uh, and ended up leaving the premises and uh, Johnny made a full recovery minus his hands or minus his fingers on his hand. And that's that's the whole of the story of the the attack on Johnny and what happened. Val, welcome to the show. Interrupt, Val. Hello. Hello, Jack Reacher. Grizzly. How you doing tonight? Uh, this sounds like a This wild... is Decker. Jack Reacher. Was it, he's actually on an active domestic right now. Oh, okay. So uh, yeah. I wanted you to come in and, and introduce yourself and do a little speaking too about. Did you hear what happened? The incident. He I just sprayed down Potter. a bigfoot in the garden. He sprayed it down, so and it I became want angry. People to know who you are. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, uh, right. Uh, for great for the uh, listeners that don't know who I am or what I've done, uh, I've spent uh, twenty five. 25 and a half years, basically all my adult life in law enforcement, uh, working in various capacities, state, federal, uh, local. And um, some of the things that I've done, I've uh, been featured on any history channel as a subject matter expert in the kind of stuff that I did. Um, I've, I've uh, was guest hosted uh guest speaker at uh, a, a few um, uh, Midwest uh, conferences for uh, uh, investigators across the Midwest. And I wrote a published article in a large uh, um, Mid-Atlantic Great Lakes intelligence uh, newsletter uh, magazine before I went on to uh, teach um, <clears throat> law enforcement officers and instruct law enforcement officers at two of Michigan's largest community colleges. Um, 
and basically um, when I was doing that, I was I was vetted and brought into a large uh, international intelligence group. <clears throat> and uh, that was made up of uh, <clears throat> some of the top and sorry, so, some of the top investigators from uh, Canada, Australia, Germany and a lot of the uh, European countries, as well as the United States. Um, I also held a uh, private investigator's license. And one of the last things that I did before I retired as my curtain call was to voluntarily uh, search for a missing individual um, out of Louisiana. And he was a um, homicide victim, as it turns out. And he had been missing for uh, uh, 30, almost 31 years before I jumped into the fray. And um, upon my conclusion, I did find him. It took me 21 months and I found this individual, brought him back, brought his remains back to his family in Ohio. And um, basically I seen that as, as my curtain call, my time to to uh, step out and, and um, when I did that, um, I started looking at this Bigfoot phenomena that people were talking about. And I know that I've, I've spoken to uh, Pallades twice <clears throat> in my uh, travels and stuff. And, um, you know, <clears throat> because of the, the stuff that I did, excuse me, because of the stuff I did, <clears throat> I really wanted to to uh, know for myself what what this was about and um it took me it took me two years to study to research this thing and in michigan and i'm from michigan almost two years to the day that i retired um was the time that i encountered while hiking with with uh, a bigfoot uh, enthusiast um i encountered a uh, eight and a half nine foot tall Harry being uh, in a tree along with a, with, with a couple more. This was a multiple animal sighting, which is, which is rare. It's not, it's not common, but it is rare and it does occur. And uh, from that point on, uh, gentlemen, I, I, um, it, it took me a while to come to grips with this and to grasp it for what it is. And from that point on, what I did was I, I migrated uh, my understanding and, and um, skills from the previous work that I did into Bigfootery. And today uh, I have the largest Michigan Bigfoot database in the state and uh, probably a, a good portion of data on uh, Bigfoot from across North America in four databases. So um, I just caught a little bit about uh, what was being said here. Uh, the fact that um, these things, what I've learned, these things are very, very, uh, well, uh, they're, unfor they're unforgiving and once they're angry, you anger them, and and uh, they don't forget that. They come back with a with a horrible uh, vengeance, 
and it's and it's a lot of time it's not nice but some of the things that i've heard here about the sasquatch destroying the house that's not the first time i've heard that coming into somebody's house and destroying the house the fact that it urinated all over the place gentlemen there's there's uh, reports of of sasquatch um doing the same thing to campers mm-hmm. pissing all over the campers tents pissing on their tents and, and and you're absolutely right i agree with you that's to me that's like a dog raising its leg it's it's marking its territory it's it's as bad as the sasquatch throwing scat on a vehicle imagine that the the last time i seen something like that was was uh working in the jails around around uh inmates that's the kind of stuff that they do throw uh uh, feces and stuff on the uh on the officers and stuff urine feces that's the kind of stuff they do to see this kind of stuff these these behavior patterns uh with sasquatch and and bigfoots it doesn't surprise me at all um there was mention of uh, canine teeth we've heard that so many times in these reports where uh people say and report they only see square pumpkin like uh teeth but there's a report uh, out of Michigan of a gentleman um, as a youth befriending that uh, juvenile that went berserk. They opened up the mouth of the, of the uh, dead juvenile. And, and in his words, he says that when they opened that mouth of that uh, Sasquatch, the, uh, the fangs fangs came down like like a snake that de- that disconnects its jaw to swallow a large uh, prey the the uh, the upper part of the jaw for, falls down and some large very large uh, canine teeth protruded they could see this um, there's a similar case i believe it occurred uh, out west this is the where- one that uh, ladies and gentlemen bound about is where the community shot and killed the juvenile Sasquatch because mm-hmm. it attacked a, a, a juvenile child. Mm-hmm. And it broke into the neighbor's house. Yes. Yeah, it broke into the yes. neighbor's house through the bathroom window and the daddy wasn't going to put up with that stuff and um, herded his family into the living room. And as soon as that, uh, that, uh, uncontrollable belligerent uh, juvenile broke the uh, broke the crest of the doorway from the bathroom to the to the hallway he fired on it it uh, was struck according to the uh, according to the wit according to the uh, reporting person it was struck it hollered fled back out of the window that it broke into ran across the road and expired uh, in a cornfield next to a creek. That's where the neighbors picked it up and that's where they brought it home and did their own autopsy on it. And that's where, um, that's where this gets a little shady and a little dark and stuff because um, the kids being kids, they took pictures of this and took it to school as show and tell. And they got visited. The whole family got visited, and uh, it was it was a pretty it was a pretty uh, 
unbelievable event after that. So um, <clears throat> from that point on, uh, he said, the little boy, now a man, says that when he came home from school, <clears throat> um, there were um, people in white suits all over his yard. Um, there were people waiting for him to get off the bus. And as soon as he got off the bus, he was ushered into the house where he seen his mother and father sitting on the couch and these three uh, suits um, started um, interrogating him about where, where the uh, body was for this uh, juvenile Sasquatch. Um, at one point, he says that the National Guard, there were six National Guard present at the time. And um, when one of the gentlemen uh, became frustrated with this little boy because he wasn't ready to rat out his neighbors, um, he asked one of the gentlemen to go out to his car and get, a, get his briefcase out of the trunk. And um, the National Guardsmen protested, hey, this isn't our job. You know, this isn't, this isn't our pay grade. We're, we're not doing this. We're not going to be here, be a part of this. So um, that is the story uh, from Michigan uh, that occurred back in the mid-70s. So there have been reports of Sasquatches when they come into the house, um, trash in the place. I'm talking about cabinets off the walls, holes in the floors, the food thrown around, um, just destroying the house, just utterly destroying the house. And another report, a companion report of a uh, hunter who says that um, he was chased, he was chased from his uh, campsite um, when his um, when his horses disappeared or his horse the backs of the horses were all broken the dogs were uh, destroyed and thrown in trees and and uh, when he fled on a horse the only horse that he had um, he came back and he found his cans coffee uh, the coffee pot was twisted in half twisted in half so Pretty, pretty remarkable things and to sit back <clears throat> and listen to people uh, talk about uh, bubble baths and pets and, and uh, friendlies and stuff. You know, I, I'm sorry. You know, it comes to a point where, you're, where you have to put the butter on the bread and, and, and call it like it is. And these aren't, these aren't pets. These aren't pets. These are wild creatures. They are what they are. And, you know, we just live with it. You know, do what you can. Don't bait them. Don't what, give them food. What do you think about the federal agents being there, Val, so quickly? Well, that's uh, that's uh, that's similar to what uh, Randy was saying from Michigan. Same thing ha happened to him. I mean. Uh, there's been reports of, you know, when I look at these reports, I look for key words and um, a lot of the flagged words and stuff that I look at in these reports, 
for instance, uh, clothes. This has come up quite a bit. Uh, some of the reports say that uh, the Sasquatch they've seen had a necklace or a bracelet. Disconnected. And um, Bluetooth connected. And uh, there's there's thought that uh, some of these, a lot of these, some of these um, may even have some type of bracelets similar to prisoners. When prisoners are braceleted, you see them wear a boot on their leg. Um, so there, <clears throat> there's some type of GPS um, monitoring of some of these things. So it's, it's very possible that uh, wherever they're at, somebody knows where they're at, somebody's tracking them. That's my opinion. Now, I do agree with you about uh, feeding and baiting and stuff. And when Decker, you know, first told me about this and he got caught out onto it, I know how domestics can turn out to be. And so do you, Val. It can be one of those verbals, right? Show up in five, ten minutes, it's solved, you know. Or it can be there, you get there, and it's actually, you know, turned into physical. And next, you know, you're hours into an arrest and reports and booking and all that other stuff. So uh, I was explaining to the audience that from what we know is that these are rogue Bigfoots, right? The ones that usually are kicked out and so forth. But they're not warm and fuzzy like everybody wants to portray them as. Mm -hmm. And everybody's got this image of, of them being this way. And, you know, finding the bicycle, uh, you missed that story and about the about the child riding the bike home and uh, being chased by an ape-like creature on all fours and the bike coming to a halt and him flying over the handlebars and running home. And they call the sheriff and they, and you know, nobody believes them, but then they go back and look and the bicycle is up in the deep. Uh, I mean, now, I'm pretty strong. <laughs> I have a rough time with the bicycle over mine, and gentlemen. I'm sorry. You know what I'm saying? Now, try to put that up in the tree. Now, why would a human being put that up in a tree? Now, mm -hmm. what is your taste about them, Val, putting items in the tree? We talked about it before. Hello, Nicole. Yeah, as as you know, I, I've written a, uh, a long um, thread on uh, what I call trophies and, and ornaments. And I listed a whole list of, of items, animate and inanimate objects that are found in trees. I'm talking about animal, um, animals, uh, bear, cougar, wolves, coyotes, cows, horses, goats, sheep. I'm talking about all kinds of stuff, including people. People are falling in trees too, don't you know? Uh, in addition to that, uh, we have clothes, we have hubcaps, tires, uh, bicycles, uh, uh, tents, hoses, garden hoses, even bales of hay. Try to pick up a bale of hay and swing it over your head. When you see a bale of hay, there's a, there's a report. <laughs> there's a report of horses thrown in trees. Horses. Now you got you got a wide variety of of uh, people on social media that cannot 
wrap their head around this. They simply can't fathom this. This is just out of their their normal uh, uh, comfort zone to, to consider this. I liken this. By the way, this isn't Crown Royal. <clears throat> this is good old-fashioned <laughs> water. Uh, I liken... I wasn't going to say anything. <laughs> but it is good. I'm not. I'm not going to complain about that. But uh, I liken the the trophies and ornaments to <clears throat> those yard signs that you see out in front of people's homes when they get their roof done, they get their home remodeled. Hey, this is me. This is what I do. This is my handiwork. You want some? Get a hold of me. I'll I'll fix you right up. Um, it's, you know, Sasquatch, Bigfoot have a, uh, to me, uh, what I see as a narcissistic uh, uh, behavior. They want to be noticed. They want to be seen. And uh, quite frankly, you know, to, to human beings and stuff, we're, you know, we're low on the food chain there. We are low on the food chain. This is me. This is what I do. You want some of me? Come on over here. You know, this is what I do. Now, don't mix, don't misunderstand that with the, uh, with the, uh, with the caches of food and stuff. I believe that uh, they place food that they don't consume up in the trees for those wayward travelers. And in old um, Celtic uh, history. There was a, uh, they used to call it the, the house of six points or something, where uh, where if you were on the run from whoever and you were fugitive, you locate one of those, one of those homes, those points, and you got food to eat, you got a safe place to harbor. And that's the way uh, some of these, some of these trees are used for these, uh, as you say, these, these uh, wayward travelers and stuff. That's the way I see this. Now, Decker, what else was you saying that was going on as well? Well, um, there's just been several different reports, and I know uh, one of the ones that Dak was going to talk about, and I believe uh, he got it from uh, Barracumbo from the Outlaws, mm -hmm. um, talking about there was a gentleman who was out uh, sighting in his guns, at a kind of a local range, but really close to where his house was. Um, and then his, his wife could hear the shots from him sighting in his rifle. That's how close he was with it. Um, the shots had stopped and they were waiting for him to come home for dinner. And uh, the guy never showed up. And so she called, I don't know if it was a brother or brother-in-law, but a family member. And they went out to the, the shooting area, uh, the gun range pit there. Um, and to try to find out what was going on. And they found this guy, but he was uh, broken up and twisted around and shoved into the front seat of his truck. Mm -hmm. And there was Bigfoot tracks all the way around it. And they kind of did some looking around. And what they discovered was up on top of the, the gravel pit area. Cause usually when you go sighting in a, a gun like that, it's like in a gravel pit where there's, backdrop and all that so up on top of this uh they had found a blood trail and they followed the blood trail back down the the, the ridge there 
um, into an area behind it. And then um, it appeared to be the site of where this guy was attacked and killed. And the story that the tracks and everything told was that the guy had been sighting in his gun, which they had heard. And he, they believe one of these creatures appeared up on top of the ridge and he shot him. And the creature went down behind the ridge. So he went to trail it to, to kind of see what was going on and what it was. And he was ambushed by other creatures there. And they, they killed him and then shoved him back in the front seat of his truck. And I think that that's just, man, I couldn't even imagine because I don't know how many times I've been out sighting in guns at the gravel pit and, uh, Val, uh, my family comes from Michigan mm -hmm. and, you know, we were up in the UP and that was a common place thing for us every year. You head out to the local gravel pit. We didn't really have gun ranges. And, you know, it was just absolutely an amazing story uh, of retribution and vengeance. And mm -hmm. uh, they just weren't playing around with this guy. Well, well you know, Jason, uh, gravel pits are one of the uh, one of the. Uh, flagged groups that I look for when I read these reports mm -hmm. because there's an, there's an awful number of reports um, that point out uh, gravel pits. As a matter of fact, uh, quarries, any place where you have a quarry, a large quarry, and you'll have those in the large metropolitan areas such as around the Detroit area, uh, mm -hmm. Anywhere that they're doing a lot of development in California, um, you're going to see you're going to see an upswing in in uh, Bigfoot reports. Anywhere mm -hmm. that you have gravel pits, uh, quarries, <clears throat> caves, uh, abandoned mines, such as you have down in Virginia, West Virginia, um, there's a there's a large number of reports around those specific areas and stuff. And um, recently, I just posted a picture from Ionia, Michigan, <clears throat> where uh, we went out to take some reports. And uh, the reports were uh, this house close to between a large river and a uh, gravel pit. <coughs> and um, they were having uh, Sasquatches peep in the window. They could hear multiple Sasquatches uh, talking, communicating among themselves outside the windows and stuff. But when we were out there, I, I took a picture of a tree marker and I heard a large uh, chesty uh, growl. But with the understanding that these, uh, these individuals are like ventriloquists, they can throw their voices like, like, uh, mm -hmm. like a master. It's really creepy to look at these things, uh, to, to consider what they can do and, and how they can do stuff. They might be 75 feet away from me or, or further and still be able to throw that voice and make it sound like it's right behind you. I don't know how they do it, but, but that's a fact. And uh, in that particular area, that county, there was a report of six uh, black, hairy, uh, individuals walking along a railroad track with blue eyes at night. Most of the reports you see are amber, red, orange, yellow, but these were blue eyes. And um, it, it is, it's, uh, it's incredible, but gravel pits for sure 
always check the gravel mm-hmm. pits because if you got gravel pits in your neighborhood, in your area, you know, that's where they're going to be. And, and it's my theory that uh, the quarries are important because when they break open those veins and we know they do because they fill up quite, quite quickly. And, and uh, a lot of these companies will abandon these quarries and, and have a man-made lake right in the middle of a, a regional populated area and stuff. And then you start getting reports that come out of nowhere. So uh, that's my feeling on these things. Yeah, ladies and gentlemen, stay yeah, that makes a lot of tuned. Sense. We'll be right back. by Western uh, Kentucky Bigfoot and Paranormal Investigations LLC by Don Wadden. Thank you, sir, for another great edition. Uh, we got Mr. Decker and Mr. Gumshoe Val, Bigfoot data miner profiler. <laughs> our, our guest, uh, Mr. Speaker, Jack Reacher, is on an active domestic uh, call right now. We want to bring Val in because of his experience. And not only that, because... He also has databases that are so in-depth, right? And I wanted to take Decker's information. I, I know it's secondhand, but, you know, hopefully he can call in here shortly and, and just put his voice on the air. But what other encounters has he told you, Mr. Decker? Um, those were the, the three main ones uh, that he's personally been either involved in or has heard um, you know, about, about the attacks that he's in his area where he's at regionally. Um, there, but like, like Val said, though, there is an immense amount of information out there of, of these things not being friendly and then actively attacking people. Um, I don't know if y'all are familiar with uh, the old show Mysteries of Search with Brenton Sawin. Uh, Brenton was a good friend of mine. Uh, he's passed away a few years back. Um, on his show, he was talking to a lady named Tina, and she describes an encounter from when she was a young girl. Uh, apparently, um, her mother and father were separating, and they were transferring out west, and they had stopped at uh, her grandparents' cabin uh, to basically kind of spend some time and kind of so the mom could regroup. And uh, it was their cabin and one other cabin on the back side of this, this area. 
um, an elderly woman, uh, very friendly, and then came over. But she had some warnings for the mother. Uh, specifically, don't let the kids out at dark at all. Keep everybody locked up after dark. And then if any of the young women had um, started their cycles to make sure that they were kept inside during that time, if, if that time happened when they were out there. And they, they were kind of confused about it. They thought maybe bears or wild animals would be an issue. Um, the way the story goes is one night the young lady was woken up by her mom and rushed into the bathroom. And uh, there, there was some commotion going on outside. They didn't know what was going on. Uh, but this young girl uh, just kind of disobeyed her mom and was looking out the window in the restroom. And she described these two massive creatures on the front porch of this lady's house. Um, she described the door as being exceptionally tall and how they have like a stained glass above it. And these creatures were large enough to be able to have their head in line with the stained glass above the doors. And they were, they were kind of arguing back and forth from what she said the sounded like. And they started roaring and at some point, they broke into the house and carried this lady off. Now, as Bren was, was questioning her and kind of bringing out more details of what was going on, um, came to light that it seemed like this lady had a chest freezer on her porch. And for the longest time, it was unlocked. But apparently, she had recently put a padlock on the chest freezer. And so, Bren had surmised that these creatures were probably coming up and getting uh, meals out of the freezer. And th this older lady knew about it and finally got tired of it and then put a lock on the chest freezer. And this angered the creatures and then they got mad and then kind of went in retribution and carried this lady off. Uh, police officers were called, but they reported it as a bear attack. And th this lady was, was never found as far as she knew but they reported as a bear attack on this lady, but she witnessed the whole thing. Uh, it's just people that are like, Oh, these are just so friendly. It's, it astounds me. How don't you it's almost like, go ahead. Yeah. Now go ahead. I got a little delay on my end. I apologize. Yeah. Mine does too a little bit. Um, but it just astounds me where, where people are talking about how, gentle and and these forest friends and all this and and i'm not saying every bigfoot out there is going to be malicious but i think they're individuals and they've got personalities and i think the reports show that and you are going to have some that are more aggressive and you're going to have uh family clans that are going to be more aggressive depending on the alpha males that are leading it and their personalities and how they run things you know um so i, I i'm with val where the reports are out there that these things are not just friendly forest fuzzy giants, you know? Yeah. Now, Val, uh, I'm going to let you do a lot of speaking because a lot of people don't know you being up this late at night. And thank you for coming on. I greatly <laughs> appreciate it. But uh, you have taken and you have documented, I do believe, and when I'm going to use police jargon, totality mm -hmm. of circumstances, right? Mm -hmm. Okay. And that's uh, that's everything as a whole. And you have all reports about uh, these creatures breaking into freezers or refrigerators. Have you or have you not documented yes. that? Yeah, I have. And uh, one of the uh, re remember when I'm looking at these reports, 
and I'm and forgive me, you know, yeah, this is a different listening group than what I'm used to. Um, so a lot of people probably don't know me. I see some familiar names there um, in the listening audience. But for those that don't know me, um, I take about 235 uh, words, keywords that I use as, as groupings. And that's what I look for when I when I read a report. I'm looking for these these keywords. Um, one of them, uh, as Grizzly was was explaining, as far as the freezers and stuff like that, um, I'm looking for stolen food. Food. Uh, yes, uh, freezers have been raided. Yes, freezers have been broken into. Weenies by the packages. Frozen weenies have been found. <laughs> outside the back porch and stuff, you know, some of these older homes um, keep the freezers and the, the old uh, chest freezers in the back porch area and stuff. Mm -hmm. um, this happens quite a bit. Uh, gardens have been raided, uh, food eaten up and the hunters. I look specifically at the uh, seasonal uh, ebbs and flows of reports uh, such as September, October, November. Gentlemen, these are these are prime hunting months for a lot of deer and stuff all across North America. No matter where you go, those that time period is very, very uh, key to a lot of uh, angst and, and um, um, hostility. It's within that three month time period that a lot of conflict arises between man and animal and i'm telling you uh when when hunters by the hundreds encounter sasquatch um they hunt the they hunt the, the the hunters hunt the deer and the elk and the moose and whatever and when they see an animal take that take that food from them you know what's going to happen. It's like putting uh, a few dogs together at a dog dish, a single dog dish. You know what's going to happen. Uh, it, it's a matter of survival of the fittest at this point. But this will only get worse as, as the resources diminish, uh, whether to drought or, or uh, whatever. Just let your mind imagine. But um, yes, indeed, uh, stolen food is a big, is a big deal. Mm -hmm. And some of the Indian- uh, So I want to address Val with you. Yolanda just asked a question and uh, she said, it'll be interesting to find deer hunters to see anything. They do, ladies and gentlemen. Absolutely. They will be hunting in tree stands. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. I have reports that they will shake them in the tree stands. Mm -hmm. I have reports that they will drop a deer while they were hunting and the Sasquatch will come out of nowhere, pick up the deer, sling it over their back and just walk off with the deer. And the deer hunters like, what the hell? And mm -hmm. they don't know what to do. And they freak out and never go back in the hood. This mm -hmm. ladies and gentlemen actually happens. These encounters happen. These yeah. are document encounters. Now ask Val or I will, since you all came, <laughs> what do people in law enforcement call Sasquatches in reports? They, in, 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 in law enforcement, the community, 
you don't hear the word Bigfoot Sasquatch. What do you hear? You hear bear. Bear, Sasquatch, Bigfoot Sasquatches is the tacit understanding for bear. When, when you see bear on a report or in a news article and stuff, think to yourself, these things have been called wild men. They've been referred to as bear. Even today, you'll see that where the misidentification is is incredible. But, you know, law enforcement doesn't have to, they don't have to be honest with, with people. The courts have ruled that. They can use deception and, and deceive, and, and it's perfectly legal in, 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 in law the way we see it. But um, for them to use the word bear, um, in place of Bigfoot Sasquatch is perfectly, to me, it's perfectly understandable because a lot of people that, uh, that aren't familiar with this topic, um, if, if you show them a picture of a bear and a Sasquatch, they'll tell you it's a bear. They'll, they'll swear up and down that they see a bear. This happens all the time. So, um, you know, when it comes to Sasquatch, Bigfoot, uh, you will see it's a bear or it's a wolf. It'll be anything but a Bigfoot and Sasquatch. You don't mention that name. You don't mention that word. You don't talk about it. And incidentally, uh, for Jack Reacher, um, it was a domestic call that I was seriously hurt one time trying to trying to protect a, a woman. And... Um, I think I, I think I was sent home and, and taken to the hospital with a possible concussion. And I had to be uh, observed, you know, because of the head injury that I received. But it's very dangerous, that kind of stuff. And the, and the man that did this, foaming at the mouth like a rabid dog, um, wanted to put me through a glass plate window. And I hit the uh, window ledge and lacerated the top of my head instead. But he was trying to disarm me and pull my gun from my holster at that time. Very, very bad. You know, these guys and women that are involved in this stuff out there now, I'm all done with this stuff. But I can tell you that, um, you know, 20% uh, of the time it's, it's pure boredom. But 80% of the time, it's stark, raven, uh, crazy. It, it, is, it goes from, from one mile an hour to 90 miles an hour in a minute. And it's, uh, you know, I, no matter what is said, no matter what is done, you know, I walk away from, and, and Grizz, you can attest to this, I walk away from that job as though, um, you know, we accomplished something we did something and um, it's, you know, I, I, I give all the credit to the guys and the girls that are out there now, because those are the guys and the girls that you call at three o'clock in the morning and someone's kicking into your back door and stuff. Um, but let's get back to Bigfoot. <laughs> it's uh, uh, a lot of stuff that you said, Jason, I remember the stuff that, uh, Kunbo and Bear had talked about as far as the the uh, gentleman out there on the shooting range mm -hmm. 
absolutely right. There's a gentleman out in Texas by the big, uh, the big easy, uh, by the name of Bob, somebody, somebody. And he happened to have a YouTube channel. And one night he photographed a torn up campsite campsite torn up is another keyword that I look for. And the, the one that he filmed and he videoed in, in Texas brought all kinds of trouble down on his shoulders because quite frankly, he was out there live on YouTube and he had, he, you know, he came upon this campsite at night and uh, he video recorded this and there's a, there's a body in the tree and uh, all all the world fell on him following that. His YouTube was locked up. He was threatened with arrest. And and uh, on at least one of those uh, Bigfoot forums, uh, let's say Sasquatch Chronicles, uh, everybody was told, do not mention his name again on this on this uh, forum because of because of the stuff that he went through do not mention his name but um, he came upon this this campsite that was literally torn to pieces it had it had large uh, footprints in the dirt the uh, fire was thrown all around the trees were destroyed it was the, the the trees were just devastated around that campsite there was chicken laying, you know, somebody was cooking chicken on a fire, obviously. Uh, the tents were collapsed. Um, and then there was a uh, Kadiva in the trees and stuff. And that brought all kinds of problems on that gentleman. So, um, you know, it's just, it is what it is, you know. So, you know, in Michigan, long before, long before the state went to digital and we still had analog, everybody had CB radios. Remember that? They had, they had the, uh, the, um, the, the scanners. Everybody does. And you could do mm -hmm. that on computer. I can listen to uh, the entire metro region. And across the country, if I wanted to, if I had the time. But a lot of the Bigfoot reports came from a lot of these, I don't know, senior citizens, listeners that sat home in the rural areas and listened to the listened to the uh, scanners. And they would often hear the uh, DNR and the sheriffs talking openly. And this was analog radio. About. Oh yeah, uh, Billy Bob over here is upset. He wants he wants uh, he wants something done because somebody uh, took the head off of this prized deer that he had, uh, this eight point ten point deer that he wanted to keep and feed and and stuff and and he's just so upset because somebody took the head off of this thing and threw it uh, twenty five feet away. Didn't didn't eat the, the food or the meat or anything. And another one says, yeah. Well, uh, we went over there to this house, this this farm, and uh, uh, this this farmer's upset because there's six deer stacked up in a tree, and they want to. They think it's a poacher out there, 
And then you hear the other guys chime in and they're saying, yeah, uh, so-and-so was over here on this uh, poaching detail and they seen the gray one that the lady was talking about. Oh yeah, well, uh, Johnny over here was took a report from a lady that says she's seen a, a large uh, Sasquatch and incidentally, this park that I'm talking about is the same park that I had my sighting encounter in, in Washtenaw County, Michigan. And there, you know, a lot of the reports, a lot of the intelligence and stuff came from listeners. But as soon as they went to digital, a lot of these people with the with the old scanners, you know, they just couldn't keep up with the technology and stuff. But uh, you know, it's 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 pretty good you know everybody pitching in everybody helping you know in 1965 in michigan um there's there's a report that really uh, struck a chord with me because i lived very very close to where this incident occurred it it was it was uh, coined the 1965 august 1965 monroe monster report in which a young girl, pretty young 16-year-old girl, uh, <clears throat> driving these backcountry roads uh, with her mother in the summer, August. Michigan summers are, are horrendously uh, hot and humid and stormy. And uh, back in 1965, you know, I was a young kid then, uh, there were no power windows and I don't even remember anybody having color television except for <laughs> rich kids, rich kids. <laughs> Wasn't me. Uh, right. so, so the air conditioning and stuff didn't happen. It wasn't there. I mean, I, I heard the Beatles and Ed Sullivan. I remember that, but when this Monroe monster thing come up, uh, what it was, was a young girl with the mother and, and she uh, was just learning to drive on these backcountry roads. There's no street lights, very, very dark. Uh, so uh, the Bigfoot comes out of a field. The young girl sees it. The mother sees it. They both scream. You remember that movie, Close, Encarno, uh, Close Encounters, uh, with a young kid, and he brings the uh, alien home to the house, and the little girl, the sister, sees it for the first time, and when she sees that alien, she screams, it screams, they all scream in the house and they don't eat ice cream. Right. <laughs> but uh, uh, um, so the mother, the daughter scream, the windows rolled down, it's very hot. And the beast reaches in and screams at the girl, which doesn't help. She panics, hits the brake, stalls the car, the car stops, the thing reaches in, grabs the young girl slams her head against the doorpost and leaves her with a black eye. And that's the famous picture that you see now in the black and white news uh, clippings and stuff. So what I am, my point to this is, is that in 1965, and I've read these reports, I read them then, but as a police officer, when I retired, I went back and one of my friends, school friends, girl, um, she happened to be a professional archivist, a historian. And, you know, after, after extending our uh, hellos and all this kind of stuff, catching up on each other's lives since we got out of school, moved away and stuff, I asked her, I says, can you 
can you pull up all these reports of this Monroe monster? And she did. She brought it in a, a nice big packet. And I read it. Now, uh, Grizz and Justin, I'm looking at this. I'm looking at this from the perspective of a police officer, not, not a kid. Not a kid left in awe on this re report. I'm looking at this as an investigator would. Uh, trying to find out why and how they could call this a, a, a hoax. They really bad wanted to call this a hoax. And they even went as far as is calling the mother and the daughter liars in the newspaper. In, in 1965, in some of these rural counties, the sheriff was the most, the most um, important figure in the county. The sheriff, like it is today, is the is the uh, is is the law of the of the of the you know this, Grizz. It's the law of the land. Whatever county you're in, they have more they have more authority than the local police officer, the sheriffs. They're constitutional, and that's what they are. So the sheriff knows everything in the county in 1965. He knows who died, who went to jail, who's cheating on who. He knows everything, <laughs> everything. And they and back then they put that all in the newspaper. So when he's questioned about this monster report, he says, "Oh no," he says, uh, uh, "I don't know anything about a monster report, but we did get a report of a bear in the southern county." Remember what I said about bears, gentlemen. We did have a report of a bear. There hadn't been any bear reports in, in southern uh, southeast Michigan in decades. We did have a report of a bear, though. Uh-huh. So I'm looking at these reports, and um, for a while, a lot of the local businesses, um, they, they sprung board uh, <laughs> off of that excitement because it, it, it drew a lot of people from Detroit and Ohio, from the freeways into this, into this small um, rural uh, area. And they were all looking for the monster. Uh, they came out with sticks, they come out with guns, they come out with hoes and forks and everything that you can imagine. And they're looking for the monster. So, uh, it, it came to the it came to the point I, I suppose you know some of the wealthier people the more affluent people seen this as a negative you know we don't want this you know this is this is bad for our business this is bad for our product this is blah 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 we want to shut this down so uh, it just so happened and, and I'm going to tell you something right now gentlemen I'm not a believer in a believer in coincidences there's no such thing as coincidences none whatsoever happenstance happenstance once coincidence second and the third time it happens it's enemy action that's what it is there's no such thing as coincidence in this world that we live in everything is purposeful everything that you see that you touch that you hold that you love is purpose driven there's a reason for everything that's the way I look at this. That's the way I look at life. So while this monster uh, uh, mania is going on, uh, it just so happens that that uh, a neighboring uh, community uh, that has a large popular recreational park, they feature a uh, caveman. 
in effigy, a large, a large uh, figure, much like the old big boy that we've seen on the big boy restaurants. This is a caveman monster-like uh, effigy. Well, it just so happens that this gets stolen. And, and that makes news. We're going we're gonna to try to uh, look here, don't look over here, look over there at this stolen monster, and we'll laugh about it and chuckle about it in the news. So the caveman effigy disappears, if we get this straight, and turns up pretty close to where this, this uh, Monroe monster incident occurs. Pretty close. So... Uh, a couple sheriff deputies are sent out there to take the report. This is stolen property now. Now it's recovered. And so uh, the sheriff deputies in, in, re in recovering the stolen property, which, which is a crime, so it's evidence. You hold it until, until you can charge somebody with theft and, um, or until the uh, owner comes in to claim it. And if you got a suspect, then you agree, you make an agreement with the owner that you'll return the property as soon as the case is adjudicated. So what they do is they take this six foot, uh, whatever it is, six foot one, six foot six, whatever it is, a uh, statue of a monster, a caveman monster, paper mache, whatever it is. They put it in the trunk of the, the sheriff's car and drive it through town so everybody can see this monster hanging out of the trunk of the police car. And it just so happens when they get it to the sheriff's department in that PR door, they back it up, and there just so happens to be a news camera right there with a photographer to take a picture of this monster because this is going to be the headlines tomorrow, tomorrow in the evening paper. And they did. The monster, you know, everybody go back to bed, everybody go back to sleep, uh, the, the mystery is solved. We found the monster. And ha, 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 here's, here's the uh, monster in the back of the, the sheriff's car. Well, that's not the end of this caper. The end of the caper is, the mystery is, uh, and they took pictures, and the, and the, and the uh, deputies, the up-and-coming deputies that, that might be in line for the next sheriff, the undersheriff, whatever, whatever. It's all politics. But... But, uh, you know, everybody gets their picture taken with this monster effigy. And now everybody can rest well because the monster uh, mystery is solved because we found this, this effigy. And um, the real mystery is how that, how that caveman effigy broke out of jail, broke out of the sheriff's department, and ran all the way over there across the county and found itself at the scene of the monster, <laughs> the initial monster report. Nobody knows how that happened. It's just a mystery. It's just a mystery of life how this happens. But all through this, all through this period of the 1965 Monroe monster, this woman and this young girl, 16 years old, imagine that, 16-year-old. At 16-year-old, you're looking... You're looking at the pinnacle of your life as a young adult. You're 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 approaching young adulthood. You think you should be thinking about proms and graduation. What am I going to do after I graduate? You know, I got a lot of friends. The peer pressure is heavy. And here you see your name, your picture in these <clears throat> in these newspapers, 
all over the region calling you a liar, calling you and your mother a liar over and over again. It, it turns out that, that um, you know, the fact of the matter was the car sat out there after the incident. The, the mother and the daughter were not far from, from her parents' house, which would be the young girl's grandparents' house, and they screamed and they could hear the grandparents and the neighbors could hear the screams from, from their house and the lights come on. And now not only do the lights come on, but the neighbors lights come on and they want to know what's going on. So they come outside and just like those old black and white movies where, you know, you got vigilante groups. Yeah. These people came out, they were angry. They hear somebody screaming, that's friends of theirs, their neighbors. They're going to go out there to help. So the car sits out there. The, the girls leave the car, abandon the car, where it's at. They, they're screaming. They're upset. They're hysterical. They're, they're walking in the dark back to their, their parents' house, the grandparents' house. And now the neighbors and everybody else are fit to be tied. They, you know, they want to go out and they want vengeance. They want to find this monster that did this to this young girl. The law enforcement, they don't, they don't look at this car. They don't go to this car and treat it as a, as a crime scene, which it should have been, because if it's an assault, if it's some type of assault like that, it should have been treated as, as a crime scene. We'll go out there and take fingerprints. We'll look for evidence. Apparently, there was some type, there was talk that there was some type of of hair caught in the chrome of the 1965 uh, Chevy uh, vehicle. Um, and, and it was later published that, yeah, uh, we went out there and looked and, and uh, you know, hours later, days later, we went out there and looked and the hair that we seen in the chrome was Brussels, horse Brussels, like horse tail Brussels from a paintbrush. Uh, so, you could see the way you could see the way the investigation was going. It was it was published in in, a, in another article that the sheriffs uh, said we're not sending people out there for the monster report. We're not doing that. So uh, the car, the car, which which I thought in my mind, looking at it from the perspective of a uh, police officer, that should have been investigated right there, right now. This is the report. This is the allegation. Let's go out there and see what we have. Instead, they let it go. They let it fester. You got all these people trampling through the fields. Then, uh, as explained in, in so many times in the Pallades books, a, a freak storm pops up and just deluges the place in a, in a heavy uh, storm, summer storm. So now the field, if it had evidence of, of tracks, they're all gone because you've got a centipede of, of, of tracks out there from people stomping around out there in the fields and stuff. Forget about the evidence. So the last thing that they were going to do was, was give the woman, the state was going to give the woman a uh, lie detector test. In my research on the uh, uh, lie detector um instruments that they used at that time in 1965 uh they came out of the 1910s and 1914s that's when that technology was developed 
and they were still using it in 1965. It was very old, very decrepit, very outdated. 1965. So the administrator of the test says, well, uh, you know, I administered this test and it shows deception. It shows that these these people, these the, this mother and daughter were, were, were not being truthful. A radio station, a popular radio station at the time, 1965 from Ohio says, you know what? Um, uh, we've been following this story and we want the mom and the daughter to come in and take a, another uh, lie detector test and we'll, we'll hire our own uh, administrator to, to administer this test. And uh, so somebody in one of these newspapers uh, went ahead and, and did a background on the police officer that did the lie detector test for the um, authorities in Michigan. And they compared the credibility, the creds uh, of the lie detector test from the Ohio radio station. And, and we're looking at, we're looking at a uh, administer uh, in Ohio, a private one paid for by this radio station. You know, he was college educated. He was, he went through the same training as the officer from Michigan. And um, his tests were quite different than the, the police officer's test results. And his test, in his mind, and his opinion was, yes, these women did see something. In fact, they were being truthful. So um, given all this stuff together, <clears throat> given all this stuff together, <clears throat> you have to see, you have to see um, a picture that, um, I'm being very careful with what I say. Um, you have to, you <laughs> have to, you, you have to make up your mind and use some discernment. Why would somebody, why would somebody refuse to see something and refuse to, to publish it and call it as it is guys? unless they didn't want people to know. And here's another thing in, in the, in the research and the work that I did on all this information that I got, uh, there was a straight, a state trooper that was quoted in the newspaper as saying, we tried to keep this secret and it just got out of hand. You know, it, it passed around like a wild cold. Um, in further uh, research, I, I, I noted that um, there was a 1910 or 19, 19 uh, I don't know, 1910, 1914, 1912 report of a uh, uh, creature similar to a uh, Sasquatch sighted in that same county. So decades later, decades later, uh, in that same area, and I'm talking about Netter Road and Mental Road, I-75, in that area, it's called Frenchtown Township, Monroe County. Within five miles 
within five miles of that location in 2009, there was a report of a black, hairy Sasquatch rooting through somebody's trash, roadside trash, you know, for weekly pickup. In addition to that, I know I was down in that area within, again, within five, six miles of that uh, Netter Road, Mental Road uh, location in 1965. Here in, in uh, 2020, I was down in that area once again, taking a report of a gray Bigfoot Sasquatch seen sitting in a uh, field, a flooded field after a, after a rainstorm. When I say when I say there's no such things as coincidences, I mean that. A lot of people do not understand, and they and they you know are are in disbelief when you tell them that uh, when you look at when you look at the patterns of Bigfoot travel and and where they're spotted. You know, some of these things have been spotted in inner city Detroit. Mm -hmm. uh, some people have a hard time in, in Chicago as well. I know that I've seen reports of, of cougar found in the middle of these uh, hardened neighborhoods in Chicago, inner city of Chicago. So it's not, it's not beyond belief that this happens. What is beyond belief is that people don't understand that these things have been around a long, long time. And in a long, long time ago, gentlemen, the houses weren't there. The buildings weren't there. The roads weren't there. But they, with their natural uh, ability over, over a, large, a large period of time, they know the area. And they keep coming back to the same area. They might have raised their young there. They might have uh, grown up there. But they're quite familiar with the area, and they'll return to that area. If not in seven-year cycles, it, it may be before that. It may be every three years they'll pass through that area. And, and when I look at these reports of all these house-pounding reports, that's another subset that I look at, 235 different subsets, house-pounding. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm beginning to think that a, a lot of the house poundings are from the baiting when people bait and feed these things and stop, like you guys were mentioning, talking about earlier, they get angry. Yeah, they pound on the house. But also, uh, when these things are traveling from point A to point B, they're familiar with this area. This house wasn't here uh, uh, 100 years ago. But they're familiar with the area, so they're going to pound on the house, you know, as they move along. You know, this is it. This is, you know, this is our area. So, um, yeah, this, there's a lot. There's a lot of there's a lot of things to know. There's a lot of things to learn. And, and I'll tell you what, every day is a learning day for me. You know, a couple questions that Monroe and I. <laughs> Go ahead, Decker. I want him, I want Val okay, to explain sure. that document we talked about after your questions. I want you to sure, ask sure. Well, though. um, I had actually mentioned the Monroe case at the very beginning, so I'm really glad you brought it up and went into more detail for us on that. A um, couple of things that I had come up across with the Monroe incident was um, I had read there had been multiple 
reports of Bigfoot in that area in that time, kind of like a flap that just, that wasn't an isolated incident um, with, uh, with this lady. And then also, and this is the only time I've ever heard this was when I was just researching it this week for this podcast. Um, it was reported that hunters or somebody had found supposedly found a gorilla costume in the woods uh, recently after that. Did you come across any of that information as well? No, but uh, <clears throat> to your to your earlier point about earlier reports, uh, in my research mm -hmm. uh, in examination of this this thing, um, there when when I said that the uh, officer was quoted as saying they tried to keep this secret, but mm -hmm. it just got out, it leaked out. Um, there were at least a dozen reports from what I can count a dozen reports of, of Sasquatch Bigfoot around that County in 1965. At that time is, frame. Okay. Yeah. In that time frame. Well, what is it in 1965? Remember in 1965 on the West part of the state, the Southwest part of the state, we had the Cass County monster, same thing, same exact thing, 1965. A, a good person, and I, you know, a good person to to chat with about this would be Mr. Keel, K-E-L, K-E-E-L. He wrote about this, and I think it was, I might be wrong, but I think it's it, it was his position that um, the nuclear power plant had something to do with this. I mean, that was the earlier thought back then. Mm -hmm. Um. But I think he was just channeling some of the the rumors and stuff that he was hearing on you know on the streets and stuff. But uh, I didn't hear anything about I didn't hear anything about a gorilla uh, costume or anything like that. Um, I did hear of a lot of reports of um, Sasquatch uh, in different parts of the state throughout the area, and including all the way up to Wayne County, where I'm at. Wayne County and Oakland County are the two most populous counties in the state mm -hmm. and, and the most developed parts. And yet we still keep having reports uh, in Wayne County and, and especially Oakland County. But um, um, there was a report in Monroe County, probably 10 miles, 15 miles away uh, from if not 20 miles away from uh, from that uh, I-75 metal road, metal road area of a, um, and I think Linda Godfrey wrote about this. And what it was, was somebody had a flat tire. There's a long stretch from Monroe uh, in Monroe County to Toledo, Ohio, the state line. There's a long stretch where there's really nothing but uh, agricultural fields, and, and small communities along the lake. But there's a long uh, stretch there that, uh, that's, you know, there's, there's uh, elephant grass or cocktails or something that's, you know, it's pretty tall. Somebody is broken down on the side of the freeway and uh, they're changing the tire or something and, and uh, they, hear, they hear noise behind them, they look, you know, and we're talking about cars and trucks zipping by. It's very loud. You know how it is, but they can hear this noise and it's relatively close to them. 
whatever it is, it uh, sounds like an elephant and it's coming through that grass. And they turn and look, and it's a Sasquatch coming through the, coming through the swampy uh, uh, cocktails. And when they seen this, I believe they jumped into that car that was on the jack and, and drove off, leaving the jack and the, <laughs> and the tire and everything else. And, you know, they ain't going to stick around for that. You know, they don't want any part of that. Um, and I've seen the, I've seen reports. I've taken reports down there. I've, I've taken reports. Uh, I've, I've seen the reports of people on the cusp of, uh, on the northern end of the county, um, towards uh, Wayne County. And we still get reports of uh, Sasquatch sightings all in that area. So mm -hmm. it's, uh, it's, it's, it's still an active area. There's a report in, in Downriver, Detroit area, which is very, very populated uh, and developed. There's no forest. There's no state parks or mm -hmm. anything like that. We have metro parks, but uh, uh, um, there was a report, and I wish, you know, I wish I would have gotten more information on it, but uh, there was a report of a Sasquatch on a railroad track. Railroad tracks are another uh, uh, big time, big time, big time uh, mm -hmm. sighting points. The, you know, Sasquatch is is believed to be linear, like a wolf. A wolf is linear. They they follow straight lines. And uh, railroad tracks, if they if the railroad tracks run into inner city, well, that's where they end up. And they have been sighted in inner city Detroit, in the uh, inner city parts of Detroit. And so uh, on this particular instance, um, there were three, four, five police officers holding up traffic at a railroad crossing. And uh, according to some witnesses, they seen a hairy, uh, probably six foot, six and a half foot uh, being acting crazy, probably scared. I mean, there's a lot of t attention, a lot of lights. And... Um, the officers were videotaping this and one of the uh, commercial uh, truck drivers who slowed down with the windows down watching this reported that uh, he overheard one of the officers asking another officer, what is it? What is it? And um, again, these are reports that, that people make and uh, getting the people to report this is, is the big uh, is the mm -hmm. big um, effort, you know. So, but but getting beyond that that hurdle of being called crazy, teased, ridiculed, um, is a major major hurdle for a lot of people. And that's why when we were talking about hunters earlier, yeah, a lot of hunters report. But uh, and I've been on I've been on the uh, Michigan Sportsman uh, group site quite a few times and I, I about uh, got run, run out of there because you get ridiculed and mocked and stuff like that. But uh, interesting enough, uh, a lot of these people, these, these macho uh, hunters and stuff, which a lot of them are good people. They're just, they're under a lot of peer pressure and, you know, as a man, and there are a lot of women sports uh, sports people too, but but for the men, um, 
you know, if if their friends and peers are mocking and ridiculing you, that's what they're going to do too. But privately, they'll get in touch with you and say, hey, look, this is what happened to me. And they'll tell you. Mm-hmm. They'll pour their heart out at you. But mm-hmm. this is where a lot of the reports come from, these guys. And some of these guys said, you know, you know, I've been hunting for so many years and, you know, I'll... I'll face down an elephant and I'll do this and I'll do that. But I seen this and I dropped my weapon and left. Um, I fled. He's not shy to tell you in private. Yeah, I'm scared. And I, and I fled, dropped my weapon, left it out there. So um, real McDonald says she lives in Michigan. If you guys have any reports, um, uh, look me up on Facebook I have the largest um, Michigan Bigfoot database in the state. I'd love to hear your reports and stuff. So, Jason, if you ever come across any Michigan reports, let me know, bro. I'd love to hear. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I Um, I was actually just the the document, too. Mm -hmm. Go Mm -hmm. ahead. I'm sorry, Mr. Decker. (laughs) It's all right. I mean, I want to hear about this document, too, but. Uh, one of my buddies from Upper Michigan just out of the blue called me the other day like he's known to do. He's got a farm up in the Upper Peninsula, kind of a hobby farm. And he was telling me about how one of his prized goats was found 20 feet up into a tree. Mm-hmm. And how he, he suspected a mountain lion, you know, a cougar up there. Mm-hmm. And, of course, the DNR up in the UP still doesn't acknowledge the existence of, mm-hmm. of mountain lions and stuff. And I said, well, you know, Thomas... Um, Mountain lions don't generally do that with their prey. They, they catch them in the ground. They bury them with a little bit of mm-hmm. uh, leaf debris kind of a thing, and they come back to feed on it once it's kind of rotted a little bit. Um, plus, they don't have the physical uh, neck and jaw structures and strength to be able to carry something the size of a large goat up into a tree like that. That's just not how they're built. That's mm-hmm. generally uh, a leopard trait when they catch their kills. Um, and I said, you know, that that's a Bigfoot thing, man. Like, that's kind of one of those traits that we look for. Mm-hmm. And uh, he's like, oh, yeah, no, that, that, I'm pretty sure it was a mountain lion. But uh, same thing, man. That, that's happening all over the place. It really is. Since since I posted that uh, thread on, on trophies and ornaments, I can't tell you the number of people that want to tell me about leopards and whatever they've seen on television on Africa Safari. Mm-hmm. They've seen that on television. In yeah. their head, in their head, when they see something like that, the only thing that they can equate that to is what they've seen on television. Yep. Now, I I posted recently. I posted a uh, thread on on that very same topic, showing them. Here's two experts. Two CSI experts, uh, forensic uh, sports experts, that said absolutely not a cougar. No, the cougars nope. don't do that. They don't do that. Where do you guys get this stuff in your head that they do this stuff? They don't do that. And and what they seen in the tree was not from a cougar. Uh, cougars don't have any any liking they don't have any taste for bales of hay tires shirts <laughs> clothes uh wolves mm-hmm. uh cougars don't take another cougar up in a tree um, right but uh grizz wanted to talk about the uh the document um 
the doc the document he's he's referring to is called the Miller document, and that's been out for I don't know at least four years that I'm that I'm mm-hmm. familiar with. And essentially, uh, uh, you had you had the Calusos. You know who the Caluso was? You know the uh, the Caluso from Sherlock Holmes, and and the Lieutenant Columbo from the Columbo series episode television Hollywood uh, renditions of of comic um, detectives and stuff. So you got Caluso and Columbo types that look at the Miller document and they say, now this is a hoax. This is a, this is a, a whatever. But essentially what it was, was a document that came uh, to a blogger and, and uh, she was ridiculed heavily. And uh, I would say that after, after she published that Miller document, um, I don't know. She just disappeared. She just fell off the face of the earth. She just got out of blogging. Just and 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 I see this so many times with people when they're ridiculed and mocked like that. Um, that they just, you know, they can't handle it. They're crushed. But the the Miller document supposedly uh, came to her by way of some lady who. Uh, whose uh, relatives, I think, were Swedish or something. And um, it was a long document that talked about uh, Sasquatches. And uh, I'm looking for it right now because I will read part of this for you. And um, uh, he was he, he explained himself. My name is Dr. H.A. Miller, I think he said his name was. I, I graduated from one of the uh, Ivy League schools. I, I had a, a, I was a uh, MD doctor and I was a PhD. And my area of expertise was anthropology. And uh, I worked for one of these uh, government agencies. Um, and um, my job was to to look at these these. Uh, Sasquatch, uh, Bigfoot Sasquatches, which he didn't refer to it as Bigfoot Sasquatch, but he had another name for it. Just looking at just looking at the um, at the report, and I think Wes Germer did a lar- uh, did a de- dedicated a show to this this topic, and he brought on uh, people from the, his forum group that allegedly researched this, that came to the conclusion that this was a hoax, a fraud and whatever. Once it's stamped with that, with that, uh, with that proclamation and everybody else, you know, uh, can, can repeat the same thing and say that it's a a fraud and a hoax and stuff. But uh, I was asked, I was asked uh, to get involved in this research and stuff. And, and quite frankly, you know, um, I had just gotten into uh, Facebook, uh, stepped out of the shadows, got into Facebook and opened up this this Facebook group site. And uh, I didn't want to get involved in this. But what I seen what I seen of the Miller document, left, it, it, it showed a lot of tells and a lot of hints 
that this was this was authentic. This was a person that was deeply involved in um, in um, what he said it, it was he was involved in, and that uh, the fact that these guys, these amateur researchers, investigators, couldn't find anything, they couldn't find a yearbook with his name in it. To me, again, these were tells that uh, you know this guy was deep. He was deep, and uh, you're not supposed to find anything. Just in my just in my background, involved in uh, undercover work, which I was, state and federal. Um, you know, I had I had a whole new identity, um, and I'm talking about everything. Cars, license, everything. Um, you know, you, you run around uh, like a person with dual personalities because on one side, you're this person. When you're at home, you're your husband, your daddy, and, and you're this person. It was very, very tough. What I've seen with the Miller document and some of the things that I've read, um, struck a chord with me and, and raised some red flags with me that enough for me to say, no, I don't want to touch this. I don't want to, I, I don't want anything to do with this. I don't want to get involved in this, but here's, here's what, here's some of the stuff that he said. If I can read this real quickly, uh, the following, the following was written by Dr. H a Miller now deceased, born in New England, December 12th, 1909. The fact that nobody can find this name anywhere in any of these registers, uh, in any of these Ivy League schools should, should be enough to raise some, some red flags with people. In other words, get your nose out of that. Stop looking. Um, <clears throat> so this is, this is Mr. Miller talking. I finished my high school education while living with my father, stepmother, and half-sister. There, there was an entire section here that I could not transcribe. Handwritten, handwriting was illegible, uh, unrecognizable. I remained in New England for my undergraduate work. I thoroughly enjoyed the outdoors, the ocean, the forestry. My undergrad work studies focused on forestry and land management you understand what agency he focused on. Uh, I worked at Lockwood Farm, part of the Connecticut Agricultural Experiment Station. I learned about hybridization, agricultural, and enjoyed the hard art, outdoor work uh, in the cornfields. I began to find great interest in the scientific workings and happenings with corn seed at the time. He goes on to say, because of my previous work with the USDA, I quickly employed, I was quickly employed by the federal government. My early years as a physician related mostly to providing medical support to various employee types, firefighters, et cetera, within the USDA field uh, forestry service. I became a forensic expert in, uh, in an anatomist uh, for the USDA and was called to examine the most major accidental deaths of USDA and forestry service. Uh, and he goes on to say, due to my interest in genetics 
and early uh, experiences in agricultural hybridization, I was assigned to scientific teams which investigated the physical nature of genetics. He goes on to say, I spent, I spent years studying, he, he's, he goes on to say, I spent years uh, studying these creatures, which are scientifically known as, I still haven't been able to pronounce this word, it's C-E-B-I-D-A-T-E-I-D-A-E. We'll just say it's celebidae confirming that they were the most they were most certainly not human they were they were definitely of primate origin but with traits seen in various species of primate most of which were new world monkey the celebitate or sasquatch as we know them were found in san antonio texas area very much found in San Antonio, Texas area, very much howl, like the, howling, like the howler monkey, quite frightening to hear at night. At one point in my analysis, I found a great deal of similarity between these Bigfoot creatures and the howler monkey. That was until 1962. In late 1962, early 63, I notified I was notified of a large human-like creature by the Redding Forest Service people in California. I arranged for transport of the body to the primary to my primary location in Colorado. It was reported to me that the body was found under a large tree that had had been violently struck by lightning and was blown to the ground, apparently killing the large creature. During my investigation, I found the animal to be very similar to those that I had studied in Bandera County area of Texas with some marked differences. This Northern version of Celebidae Sasquatch seemed to have the same New World monkey attributes I noted in the Texas animals, I known today as Celebitae texicanus or C. texicanus. However, there were unique traits found in a specific Northwest animal known today as Celebitae nurturios pacificos. So that's what he calls them. And he goes on to say that this specific Northwest creature found in 1962-63 also had scent glands on her forearms. Scent glands on her forearms. This is more evidence that the C. nateros pacificus is aboriginal to some extent, leaving scent marks up and down the tree while climbing. Not only, this, not only was this creature smashed by the large tree, but she was also badly burned with areas of lightning prints exposed on her exposed skin. Uh, so apparently this, this uh, individual was in a tree when it was struck by lightning. For those that, that can't uh, concede that, that these things climb trees as big as they are, they can't climb trees. This one, apparently, according to him, was burned pretty badly. 
um, when it was struck by when the tree was struck by lightning. So let me skip down here. He talks about um, the the uh, Pacific Northwest Sasquatch also had additional medial padding on its feet, and it would use it to climb trees, climbing up the tree, and hands to support its weight. Um, he, he talked about, in comparison to the Pacific Northwest and Texas, Texas uh, um, Sasquatch, he says uh, the, both of them had oversized lower jaws with massive uh, mastoids musculature. And this must be due to their rugged diet. And, and earlier you were talking about large uh, canines and stuff like that. And, and uh, he's saying that uh, in this report, he's saying that uh, he noticed that the uh, lower molars are simply oversized or fused, resulting in a massive bone crush. They were, they were designed to be massive bone-crushing tools. So um, he's, he's describing the, the features on this uh, Sasquatch. Um, and, and according to him, this Dr. Miller, he says, due to the jaw size and the bone-crushing dentum, it is also clear that all subfamily of this creature, it doesn't matter if they're from Texas, Pacific Northwest, the Great Lakes, the Appalachian. It, he says, due to the jaw size and bone crushing dentum, it is also clear that all subfamily of this creature are omnivorous, predacious, and opportunistic. Did you hear what I said? They are they are predacious, opportunistic. Mm -hmm. This must be, this must have been due to their rugged diet and moreover, their need to crush bones. Uh, he goes on and on, but he closes this out with this. And this is the most important part to this. The speed, and he's describing the Sasquatch this is in 19, whatever it was, 62, 63. He's saying this, the species, this is amazing, powerful and deadly if anger. I, like any animal, he, he goes on to say, it will protect itself, its food source and its young at all cost. According to this doctor, it is imperative that the federal government continue to designate natural areas, unquote. Otherwise, a scarce food resource available to the celebitide Sasquatch will result in more opportunistic feeding behavior, closer interaction between humans and the Sasquatches. These creatures and human beings simply do not coexist, period. H.A. Miller, M.D., Ph.D., now deceased. There you go. 
anywhere in there that does it say, you know, feed them, love them, <laughs> you know, uh, you know, pet them, bathe them. No, no. It is. It, he's warning you in that caveat. He's warning you. He's warning people that uh, human beings and Sasquatches simply do not coexist. What does he mean by that? Well, think about it. If they do coexist, he would have said it. Um, so when I'm asked, what does that mean to me? It, it, this, reads like, this reads like a very, very educated individual when you read this. It's not some dummy. This is not some made-up dumb stuff that somebody made to hoax somebody. It reads like a will of last will of testament. It reads like, like, uh, like this was left for family to clear their conscience. You know, this is what I did. This is what I seen. This is what I believe. And um, you're not supposed to read this until until I pass. So that's what it that's what it meant to me. That's the way I see it. That's my opinion. So I don't know. It's up to you. It's up to the, it's up to the listeners. Make up their mind. Um, and I totally agree with you on that subject. Wow. And this brings me to another subject. And and this refers to the the Cock County murders in Tennessee. Which you know I went to uh, that investigation blind. And mm -hmm. I looked at the uh, autopsy reports and I looked at the media uh, information that the sheriff's department and the police agency released. And Val, you know, when there is allegedly a cover up between um, departmental issues, right? Or if there is something related to a cryptid or a Bigfoot or a dogman, there is a very distinguished line and different between those two differential statements or uh, segregations of is it this or is it that by what is released and what is quoted and stated and released to the public. And if people do not know what to look for or to dissect with the police jargon or the keywords, what is released and what information and how it is released and what what is stated in least information to the public, it's very easy for people to jump to conclusions and automatically want to blame uh, a cryptid or Bigfoot or, or Sasquatch or Dogman in an incident. You know, and this is where a lot of people were ghost investigations, you know, uh, are famous for. They hear a noise, oh, that, that, that's a ghost, you know, mm -hmm. or, you know, that place is haunted. It's, it's, it, 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 it's a demon, ladies and gentlemen. You know, all hell breaks loose, right? But Val and I, and like I told Decker, you know, I look at the totality of everything to make my professional opinion on a subject matter. Uh, and that's how I base on everything. Now, when you first read that Miller document to me, I also dissected words and listened to what was written. And I also concluded the same thing you have. And that's based on the information. And he is passing on this information to whoever. And this is my confession after I'm gone. Ladies mm -hmm. and gentlemen, this is reality. 
this is the truth. This is who I worked for. And this is what I did in life. And, you know, and people do not understand this. And we hear this about the guy that, you know, gifted Bigfoot with peanut butter jars, six of six a week, remember? Mm-hmm. And the, the fish and wildlife got involved. They didn't want to, uh, uh, you know, uh, the neighbors complained. The neighbors knew what it was. Uh, the DNR called it a bear. Uh, we knew, you know, beyond a reasonable doubt with the information that he provided in the neighbor selling his house and everybody else coinciding with him, it led up to what his story was credible. So, and whatever else evidence he collected and so forth, put in his freezer and whatnot. But, you know, people don't understand that, you know, they, they hear something uh, happen. And the first thing they want to do is they want to blame something supernatural, but, we know being in law enforcement that we unfortunately, and I hate to say this, and there's no disrespect to any law enforcement agencies, but in small t- towns, we do have corruption. Uh, we do have cover ups. Uh, they don't want the truth to come out when they do make mistakes on investigations, whether it's improper uh, handling of evidence, uh, not properly investigating a murder scene or, or, or a scene at all when it comes to a death scene or whatever type of scene. And then they find out two or three days later, oh my God, it's a lot more serious than what we realize. And Robbie, why didn't you do this? And Todd, how come you didn't do that? And now they're trying to backpedal to cover their rear ends. You, you know what I'm coming from. We've all seen this with other agencies or within ourselves. And I have, Mr. Decker, been told before, and I'll say this record, Grizzly, you was not here, leave. No questions asked. I'm out of here. So that happens, ladies and gentlemen. So, you know, when we look at things, you know, and that's why I I value Val's information so much, especially when it comes to his databases. And I mean, he's got, what is it, four? I mean, I can ask him right now, you know, all right, pull me up all your incidents with gunshots. And he can hit a button and he can tell me how many incidents he has between whatever years you want and involved with Sasquatch related with gunfire. <coughs> Sasquatch is related with hunters. Sasquatch is related with stealing food, uh, damaging property. I mean, he has got it that broken down. I mean, it is very, very detailed. And I think, was it the week before last, how many entries you entered approximately? Well, uh, I, I tried to put a thousand at a okay. time, but you know, when people don't see me, they don't hear me, they start asking where are you at and all this kind of stuff. But really I'm I'm trying to research and, and enter in this stuff. But Grizz, uh, let me just say this for your for uh, Justin and, and uh, the rest of the listeners. You're mentioning these kind of things. Let me put these numbers out. This is US this is U.S. and North America. Abductions in, a, in attempted abductions, 127 that I'm aware of. Aggression reports, reports of aggression. Uh, they run the gamut from uh, damaged property to assaults to charging people, mock charges, chasing people. 
damage, um, chasing vehicles, aggression reports, 3,626 across the country, North America. Car house poundings, 408. Car house scratching, 41. Chasing people and vehicles, 777. Collision with Bigfoots. I'm talking about motor vehicles colliding with Bigfoots. Imagine all these Bigfoots all over the country, all over North America. How many cars, how many vehicles are on the road? Lots. Anytime, anywhere, any place. They're bound to get hit. They don't look. They don't watch. They just run. They dart across the road and they get hit. Um, collision with Bigfoot, 283. Damaged property, 669 reports. Gunfire, 1,601 reports that I know of. Injured people, 250. Killed humans, killed people, 108 that I'm aware of. Leo involvement, law enforcement involvement. For those that don't think that uh, law enforcement knows anything about this or hasn't heard anything about this, 2,165 across the country, North America. Stolen food reports, 409. Stolen property, 80 reports. Thrown objects, 1,412 different instances reports. Throwing people, nine. Um, <laughs> watching kids, 1,217. And window peeping, 1,383. That's a lot. And for those people that think, and when I used to share this uh, with social media, you'd get some people on there that say, you know, well, human beings do all this kind of stuff. Yeah, they do. And, and there's some nasty people. There are some nasty people, but all, there's some also very good people, a lot of good people. But um, for those people that, that have in their head that uh, uh, Sasquatch, Bigfoot, Sasquatch, just want to be left alone, there's too many reports, my friends, too many reports that, that uh, show Bigfoot, Sasquatching, uh, Sasquatches encroaching on people's property, on their homes, in their homes, in their windows. Uh, if you were a police officer, you wouldn't put up with that stuff. You'd, uh, you'd, your citizens anywhere, any place would be on the phone calling the police. You got people peeping in the windows. Uh, you got people staring at my kids. No, people aren't going to put up with that stuff. Um, uh, these people that report the uh, collisions and damaged property from, from colliding with Bigfoot Sasquatches, a lot of people choose not to report it. They don't want to be ridiculed. They don't want to be mocked. And quite frankly, the insurance company isn't going to take a claim like that. So there's a lot of different reasons why people don't do that. There's a lot of reasons why um, those numbers, as big as they are, uh, probably should be five times greater than they are right now. And I, you know, whatever state, whatever state, whatever province uh, the listeners live in, if they took the time, if they took the time to research their own state, their own province, go back and look at what BFRO shows and look and see what you got, why don't the numbers jive? Why, are, why is there such a vast difference? What's the reason for that? 
Um, if, quite frankly, if, if uh, there's a Sasquatch out here in my area, in my neck of the woods, I want to know about it the same way that I want to know. And I'm grateful for somebody telling me, hey, uh, Val, slow down, take this detour, because if you continue going on this road, there is a uh, there's a huge pot, a pothole up ahead. I, I want people to tell me that I want to be informed. I want to know if if it was left up to some people, um, they don't want to know. And that's OK. That's OK for some people. But, you know, people like me, we just want to know. And, and um, if, you, if you think that uh, these traffic controlled devices on the side of the road that you see, uh, you know, they're there for your safety. They're there for your your health. And if you don't want to if you don't want to pay heed to them, if you want to ignore them, well, you know, you, you suffer the consequences. There might not be a road there. There might be a big uh, sinkhole up ahead. You want to know. You better want to know. Um, if there's a street light, a stop and go light there, you want to be grateful that, that it works, that you can get through there safely. You want to know. The same way with Bigfoot Sasquatch. If, if you got reports and stuff, you know, share it with somebody. You, you know, don't, don't keep it in and stuff. You know, people suffer post-traumatic syndrome and stuff over over these kinds of things. And and um, I always said that um, I always said that uh, you know if, if you encounter or have a sighting and stuff, try to have somebody with you because it's going to be tough. It's going to be tough for you just based on my own personal experience. It was tough uh, dealing with the realization that this isn't, this isn't a myth. It's not, it's not science fiction. It's not, uh, anything other than what it is. It's reality when it smacks you dead, dead, you know, right there in the face, that's what it is. And it's tough. It's tough dealing with that for the first time. I've never seen anything in my life that looked like this and my life. And I've seen some pretty bad things. But I wasn't prepared for that. I didn't. I didn't realize that that was real until I seen it, blinking its eyes at me, and I tried to. I tried to provoke it. I called it a, a you know a freak. I says, "You freak you." I was waiting for a crack in a smile or or something, but you know, it just stood there looking at me. And uh, Janice Carter says it was reading me. You know, reading me. And I asked her, I says, what do you mean reading me? She says, it's, it's looking to see what kind of person you are. What kind of person I am. And uh, quite frankly, when I, when I pause to, to consider that and think about it, it's like you would think, you would feel if somebody was standing over your shoulder Grizz or Justin, and somebody was standing over your shoulder looking at your computer files, rifling through those. It's it's an intrusion. And that's exactly the way I felt. And uh, it was not comfortable. And I've been through some some training before in, in, in my young adult life 
uh, says, and I explained this before, it was called EST, E-S-T, not E-S-P as in Paul, but E-S-T as in Tom. <clears throat> and some of this training was, was very intrusive. And um, it's illegal now, from what I understand. It's not allowed. They're not allowed to do this anymore. But, but that's a lot, of, a lot of what I felt you know, in, in my encounter experience. So, um, it is what it is. What do you think, Mr. Decker? Wow. I mean, I'm going over this document, what he was reading off. And if this was supposedly written in the early 1960s, the, the information that it contains I mean, we're talking pre-Patterson-Gimlin film, right? Mm -hmm. And then yeah. we're just now catching up to those ideas that was put forth in those documents. Now, I have heard of the Miller documents, but I've never gone into them and read them. But now I'm going to because now I'm fascinated by it. The, the idea of the scent glands is a big one. Um, and comparing them to howler monkeys, which is comparisons I have made myself. Um, from growing up in the jungles of South America where we had howler monkeys and we, we heard the troops of them going through the trees, you know, two, 300 individuals. And they sounded like freight trains uh, just, just plowing through the jungles, you know? And, and I have heard some different recordings where I compare it to that sound. It's very similar. And, and if that's the kind of comparisons that he was, was making and, and the speciation, right? He's mm -hmm. talking about this specific type over in, in Texas versus the, the Pacific Northwest. And this is all stuff that has come out in the last maybe 10, 15 years with research. And if this guy already has that in the early 1960s, I mean, to me, that just kind of goes more to the veracity of these documents. It really does. Unless they are a complete recent fabrication. You know what I mean? So it's mm -hmm. one of those where, if we take it for what it says it is, uh, that's absolutely fascinating and just way ahead of its time. And even our thought processes of what's going on with these creatures. Well, one of the things so that, on I, the that I department, they, we had a program. I'm sorry for talking about on the police department. Okay. We had a program. I can't remember what it's called, but you can put a statement inside and scan it or copy mm -hmm. and paste it inside the software. And the mm -hmm. software would and spit it out and tell you if this statement was actually true or false. And then we go by uh, handwriting analysis and keywords and structure of sentences and everything. Mm -hmm. Now I have been trained in handwriting analysis and I'm very good at it. And I can usually do it with pen and paper. And I can also take a statement and review a statement and tell if somebody's being deceitful or not. And that's because of the training that I had over all the years with the different departments with the government and the civilian side as well and the civilian side really took uh heed of that uh when i left the department uh because they needed that to uh, interview workplace violence uh internal theft uh what do you call it where they had the big uh, and uh what do you call it you worked on them uh val uh the big theft rings uh what, what, what the big term they use now uh, when it involved numerous people, organized crime suffering, uh, organized crimes. Yeah, RICOs and stuff. 
Right. Um, and uh, and they really used my, uh, you know, knowledge on that part. So with him reading that information to me for the very first time, you know, just like reading the statements that was released from the media from the, the Tennessee murders, uh, there's a lot of things I look at, and it's the verbiage. And it, not only the verbiage is what words are used and how the words are used and how the words are structured in a sentence. Mm-hmm. Because that will tell you the validity of who is writing that and what state of mind. Now, mm-hmm. I can take a pen and paper in that and tell you to write down a statement of your encounter. I can tell you if you're seen or insane. I can tell you if you're under pressure. I can tell you uh, if you're stressed. I can tell you just by how how much you press on the pen or pencil, how you dot your I's and T's, how you write. And that's why a lot of uh, statements, that, and I shouldn't really be telling this on the air, uh, usually are not <laughs> on line paper. Uh, because, you know, we look at angles of your structures of your sentences, if they go up or down, how they're angled and so forth. And I'm going to stop there because uh, I don't want to expose too much. But there's a lot of things that law enforcement looks at. Uh, not only do we not look at micro expressions and body language during interviews, interrogations. Uh, that's why I never allowed anybody ever sit behind a desk. I was always knee to knee with somebody face to face. Uh, never behind a desk, and uh, there's always a way, and Val can contest to this and can concur that uh, there's a way to set up a room to interview somebody. Uh, there is a, uh, a way that we are taught that it's a proper way, and it's a standard way, uh, however that may be. But once again, you know, we, and I'm not for Val, but I'm going to on this behalf, uh, being in law enforcement, we look at the totality of everything, uh, not just a minute piece of information or a piece of, of evidence, right? We have to look at everything as a whole, and that's the totality of everything. And once you do that, then that's when you start drawing up your conclusions. Uh, when somebody makes a statement or, or comes out and says something against another person behind that this person's not credible or whatnot and so forth and long ago did I lose everybody am I still here okay I'm still here yeah. everything was starting to yep. spin so uh, <laughs> but I just wanted to throw that out because a lot of people that don't know about law enforcement don't have the law enforcement experience or background or knowledge doesn't know that so when they see information out here in Facebook groups or they hear Oh, well, that's fact. They're going to like bounce it earlier. And once that has that stamp with somebody, it says that it's, there's no validity to do that. They take that they run with it. And that's gospel. Well, unfortunately, mm-hmm. ladies and gentlemen, that is not the truth in that gospel. So wanted to take a step back and digest things. I can't remember the software. Do you, do you remember that software? Uh, did you all have it, Val? Or did you all just pass over the detectives and let them do it? <clears throat> No, I I don't recall that that software, but I do know that syntax played an important role in in uh, yes uh, conversation and writing and and stuff like that for the same reason that you mentioned. Um, it's it's it says a lot and it it reveals a lot. Um, 
so yeah it it uh it rings a bell with me it certainly does um <clears throat> the unfortunately uh, it doesn't in, in the cryptic community and and there's a lot of false things that floats around and in val and a lot of people that don't know you and that's why i'm glad that you did have the opportunity that wanted to come on is i wanted the people to see another aspect not just me saying it another mm -hmm. law enforcement you know somebody in a capacity that hey that did a whole lot more than me in law enforcement you know when it comes to not only state but also federal level right mm -hmm. and to me that gives you more credibility uh and and with with CGI, AIG, chat, whatever we want to call about it or say now, uh, if Val brings me a piece of evidence that says this is what I've taken on the photograph, I know beyond a reasonable doubt it's, it's, it's legit. Uh, unfortunately, with the technology we have today, mm -hmm. uh, I don't know. I wasn't there. I didn't take the picture or photograph mm -hmm. or video. So and that's where I leave it. I'm not mm -hmm. going to say it's not true because, you know, like you said, you, you have databases. You have mm -hmm. queries and you see things that are from one coast to another, east to west, that are similar in fashion. And heck, you mm -hmm. break it down. You break it down mm -hmm. in subs, you break it down in categories, and, and however you want to break them down in sub levels and queries and so forth. And you cannot mm -hmm. tell me that of all of these reports, that 95% of them are fake. There's no, no. way. I'm no. sorry. They're, you know, are there hoaxes? Yes, ladies and gentlemen, there are. Are there people making up stories? Yes, ladies and gentlemen, they are. Now, unfortunately, do law enforcement, do federal agencies, do DNR, Fish and Wildlife, whatever state you are in, however you want to call the Fish and Wildlife Department, they do not want to tell the truth? Absolutely. But if you take the coroner reports and the police reports and the sheriff's statements and the news articles and whatever's released, and know what you're trained to look at and look for, you can actually come to your own conclusion to whether it is Sasquatch-related or, damn, somebody made a mistake somewhere and didn't do their job right, and now they're backpedaling because, A, it's election time coming mm -hmm. right up, and it's politics, and we know how politics are in small counties and small towns and backwoods. Because let me tell you something, I'm from a small town, and I know exactly how that works, trust me. I've seen it. I've, I've, I've seen departments <clears throat> in small towns and, and agencies. It happens. And I'm sorry, ladies and gentlemen, it does. What's your thoughts, Val? <laughs> exactly. Now, exactly right on. Um, I've, I've seen a lot. And, and um, getting back to the syntax, uh, there was a re old report out of Texas, I remember, and I, I think I've got it in that reference uh, database. The reference database is pretty good because it takes a lot of these uh, subsets and uh, really looks at them in, in its totality because you've got all these reports from that particular subset, um, for instance, assaults. Um, you take all those reports and it includes the sources, the, um, the brief summary. It tells you about the, about the salt that, that it's reporting. 
the source, the date, and the time, which is very, very important. And uh, in one particular report that I recall reading, uh, just as Grizzly was explaining, it's, it's in the syntax, the way the report was made. And I can tell you by reading that, this, this uh, gentleman that reported this report that occurred, allegedly occurred in the 1930s or so, uh, it was about uh, a married woman and a, and a married man having a tryst together, sneaking off into the woods or the forest to do their do their business, and then go back go about their 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 merry way afterward. But in this particular time, according to this report that was written, um, they were interrupted in mid coitus by uh, screaming, a screaming Bigfoot. This, this occurs a lot. Again, going back to the subsets, you understand. Uh, people going bathroom, going to the bathroom is, is another important key uh, uh, feature where Bigfoots appear. Whether men or women are going to the bathroom, it's, it's that weird... Uh, voyeur aspect of, of Bigfoot Sasquatch, that they have to be there. They have to look at a human being doing that. Uh, and they're always there. They're always there to, to make their appearance. Um, back to the story, uh, getting back to the syntax of this report. When I read this report, it sounded like a police officer. The police, the, the, the individual reporting this says that, that uh, the individuals were interrupted they got in their car half-dressed, if not naked, and they were fleeing. They were fleeing out of the woods. They were chased by a uh, screaming Sasquatch who um, apparently broke the window of the passenger's uh, door of this vehicle, grabbed the man by the throat, ripped it out, and killed him instantly and continued chasing the car as the car fled, the woman was driving. The woman, according to this report, drove that vehicle to her house in a state of shock and hysterics with, with somebody in the car with her and they were half dressed. And um, she supposedly went to a hospital and never came out of the hospital, never, never made a full recovery from that. But just the manner in which this was reported, and it also stated that if you go and ask for such and such report, date and time, uh, you'll see this report. To me, when I read this report, it sounded exactly like a police officer writes, would write a report, exactly. Again, the syntax, it's all in the syntax. Um, so he was, he was directing people challenging people if you if you think this is a joke if you think this is a a fallacy go here ask for this report look for this date and time and they still may have it in the archives well you know with a lot of a lot of agencies they don't keep archives like newspapers you know when it when it gets right. old uh, they they have a big bonfire shredding party and it gets shredded but um yeah, it's 
it's uh, it's it's remarkable that uh, that we have to talk about this stuff like this. But um, back to the uh, to to that Monroe Munster. I, I wanted just to read the the correct full quote that, that was reported in that newspaper, and I have this under subterfuge and deception. And the quote reads like this: the the officer said the officer admitted that efforts to keep the report secret have backfired. And that was published in a, uh, in a newspaper in Michigan. That's, re that's relating to that 1965 Monroe Monster uh, report. Efforts to keep the report secret backfired. Amazing. Uh, another another uh, instance of, of that subterfuge and deception uh, comes out of Iowa. Uh, in that Bigfoot report, it was quoted the the uh, individual from the Natural Resources was quoted as saying that you didn't see a Bigfoot. That's just tricks of the eyes. That's tricks of the eyes. That's what you've seen. Um, Another instance in Vermont of that same uh, title, Subterfuge and Deception, the quote by, uh, by the uh, park authorities uh, told the witnesses, we try to keep it on the download. In other words, they wanted to report, they're scared, they, they wanted to report a Sasquatch Bigfoot report, and they were told by authorities there that they want to keep it on the download. On the download. Isn't that amazing? Um, and that goes on and on and on and on. In, in one case, uh, one of these uh, people were bold enough to tell the witnesses that, um, that uh, being funny and trying to be humorous, they told the witness that the Bigfoot and Sasquatch are just monkeys that fall out of an air airplane. Monkeys that fall out of an airplane. That's what they seen. Wow. So it's it's just unbelievable some of the stuff that they that they come up with. Um, yeah, it's 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 pretty it's it's pretty amazing some of the stuff. You know, I've always I've always been uh, interested in the uh, clothing aspects. Um. I know we've talked to to uh, Janice Carter before on this. Uh, we talked to Daniel Perez about this. Daniel Perez has been around the Bigfoot community a long time. I don't know, twenty six years. I, I think he. I think I remember him saying that his uh, bulletin has been around for twenty six years. So a lot of these people have have been in the know for a long time, and. Um, it doesn't. It doesn't uh, surprise me when people say that they see uh, they've seen a Sasquatch wearing a belt, a cape, a hat, um, uh, undersized uh, jeans, overalls, shirt. There's even been a report of a Sasquatch wearing a um, a hunter's blazing orange um, vest. 
where did he get it? What happened to the hunter? Who knows? But that's, you know, that's for another day. <laughs> Isn't that amazing? Yeah, very, very interesting. Uh, it is. And I, I just want to say thank you, Val, for, for jumping on and, and sharing your information and collaborate with us. Really. Uh, hopefully the listeners learn some yeah, information tonight uh, instead of just hearing it just from myself and from Decker. Uh, and hopefully they got to know you now and uh, your background and hopefully get to watch our shows on Sundays at six. But I really appreciate that. I really do. Yeah. Well, thank you for and, having uh, hopefully, me on. Uh, buddy, uh, oh, absolutely. Hopefully our buddy you know, at the domestic, evidently he must be tied up pretty good. So mm-hmm. hopefully he's okay. And Justin, uh, I never met you before yes, and stuff, but it's been a pleasure chit-chatting here with you and and stuff. Let me let me just say uh, this. You too, uh, man. Um, if if I can, uh, in my early um, uh, police career, working for the uh, sheriff's department in Detroit, Michigan, um, uh, everybody had to work in the jail in the jail atmosphere. You know, a thousand inmates. These are convicted people waiting for for a spot, a bed in the prison system. Mm-hmm. My first occasion, my first experience with with the with the paranormal, the the strange side that I remember was uh, learning and understanding um, really the dynamics of, of people, and it was told to me a long time ago by my old uh, state police sergeant. And he told me, he used to, they used to call me Z-Man. And he says, uh, Z-Man, if you wanna learn, if you wanna learn, the criminals will teach you everything that you need to know to survive out there on the streets. Just watch them, listen to them, they'll teach you. Now, uh, there was one occasion where, where we were in the, in the, uh, jail when you're when you're working in a jail nobody goes home for lunch you have to eat what the what the inmates feed you they cook the meal and and you mm-hmm. leave in in in, um, in pieces you you go eat at this time i go eat at that time when you get back but in the meantime you're locked in there you stay there with 100 100 inmates on this particular occasion um, there were quite a few uh, people there. One in particular was a serial killer. And um, I didn't know this, but this person had multiple personalities. I've never seen this before, never heard it before. And quite frankly, uh, it, it raised the, the hair on the back of my neck. What I heard was it, at that particular time, the, the whole system was under a three-judge panel, which meant that you can't put 17 people in a two-man cell anymore like they used to do. We're only going to have, if you have a two-man cell, you got two men. If you have a, a six-man cell, you can't have 20 in there, packed in there. It's under a three-judge panel. They, they watch this, they manage that, and that's, that's what the rules were. My partner goes to lunch and around midnight, three o'clock, there's always strange things that happen at three o'clock in the morning, but three o'clock in the morning, 
I'm hearing a party going on. I hear women and I hear old men and young men talking and laughing, clapping hands, slapping hands. Uh, they're having a party. They're throwing down in there. And it raised the shackles on my, on my neck because uh, I thought maybe my partner made a mistake and left people in the cell. How did these women get in the cell with the men? I could hear them back there clearly. I go back there because there's a party going on. Everything is quiet. And, and quite frankly, at night, when you're with a lot of these people that are murderers, that have been convicted of murder, um, some of these people don't sleep at night. They're awake and they do that on purpose. There's a reason for that. They tell me the reasons why they stay awake at night is because the person that they murder, they see them at night. They don't want any part of that. So they stay awake at night and they sleep when everybody else is awake. That's what goes on. That's the kind of stuff that you don't know unless you've been there and, and done it and, and learned it. I went back there to this, this cell, this one-man cell. I knew it was a one-man cell, but I heard, I heard a half dozen people in there, different voices, different voice inflections, intonations, Young and old, I expected to see a whole group of people in there partying in that cell. I went in there, and I looked, and I seen one single man sitting on that on that bench, and he was looking at me. This man had multiple personalities and voices. Very creepy. That's the kind of stuff that you can't teach. You can't learn in a textbook. You have to you have to be there, and learn it. So with that, it's been a pleasure. Good night, gentlemen. And uh, Absolutely. We'll, we'll talk to you again. Good night, everybody. Absolutely. Good night, Decker. Great show. Uh, Good night, guys. Absolutely amazing. Coast, coast and around the world. Yeah, Godspeed to everybody. And we'll catch you on the flip side. Take care. Bye. Good night. It's a grizzly. Should we get out of here? No. We're gonna watch and listen. Action. It's a grizzly. Oh, ship, should we run? <laughs> no. Action. It's a grizzly. Oh, shit. Should we run? <laughs> okay.
It's a grizzly. Are you sure it's not a chipmunk? No, <laughs> <laughs> ah, I'm out of here. It's a grizzly. Money here. Huh. Maybe it is a chipmunk. It's a grizzly. Are we gonna die? I don't know. We're just gonna sit here and listen and watch. Let's get out of here, maybe. Fall! Oh!